to the Skeptic Wire. June 2014, episode 165 of the ah, uh, <laughs> Skeptic Wire. Sorry, I, dog just licked my hand, and I wasn't totally expecting that. Um, I'm your wet-handed... Quit, quit putting peanut butter on it! Yeah, exactly. My Your wet-handed host, Carrie Lawn, and with me this week, or I'm with them, actually, since I missed last week, are Greg Brine. And Donna Swafford. I'm I'm here, but I'm not. And per usual, Greg is sitting across from me, and Donna is sitting to my left and Greg's right, in case you wanted to visualize how we're sitting at the table. I don't think we've ever explained that before. No. All the... the, Customers? No, listeners. What the listeners know is that you are stereo left, I'm stereo right, and Donna is smack dab in the middle. Ah, which is weird, because when I mix it... <laughs> you do it the other way around? <laughs> yeah, I'm in the middle, and Donna's sort of right, and you're sort of left. But then when we, when we sit, but that's kind of how we sit, cause, or mm. from my perspective, because I'm across <laughs> from you two, you, are, you guys are sitting on the couch, and I'm sitting on the chair with the table. I'm imagining the listener is sitting in the empty fourth space around the table. There we go. Yes, we, we have an oblong, ovalish table at which we sit at Greg's place. Whereas we sit around an oblong ovalish, actually, they're, they're, it's an oval, and around at my at my house, I have an oval. What's that thing called? Uh, uh, coffee table. Coffee, coffee table. table. Yeah, coffee table, and uh, around which we sit. But they're on the other side of that, and I'm across from them. Welcome to our first episode of Skeptic Wire uh, Seating Plan <laughs> Podcast. Right. right. So, Skeptic Wire, the Feng Shui episode. <laughs> that, that's oh, exactly. bite your tongue! <laughs> I was about to ask. So, if you if you have any. Um, Suggestions? Uh, suggestions on how the feng shui, uh, feng shui may may work. Uh, perhaps we could start uh, 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 setting things on fire. Where those things uh, they they, they smell good. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't understand what you're saying by uh, saying that I'm we playing... set something on fire by putting your wrists together like you were going to get handcuffed. <laughs> well, you've well, never been set on fire first... with a ha- yeah handcuffed. Is this, this is not a shared experience. Uh, <laughs> no. Plus, I'll, Rutabaga, I'll, I'll, Rutabaga, Rutabaga. And I'm never sharing a hotel with you ever, ever again. I was, I was playing the $100,000 skeptical pyramid as well. Th- things you set on fire. <laughs> Gary handcuffed is what we set on fire. Apparently. Very small rocks. Churches. <laughs> churches. Exactly. Oh, that would be interpreted badly. Yes. Yeah, no, don't set churches on fire. No. Unless you own the church and nobody's in it. Sure. But even then, it's probably insurance fraud, and I don't work. Could be. It. it wouldn't be insurance fraud if you didn't claim insurance. Or maybe have, you're doing it for a movie, and you say, hey, we have to set this church on fire because it's part of the plot. That's my dream! <laughs> got some weird dreams, Donna. I think we have no idea. <laughs> well, there was that one of you the other day in the green pig costume, and... I really don't know what you were doing with the cucumber, and I really don't want to know, okay? So like an Angry Birds reference, just with a cucumber? 
You know what? We're going to just stop that right there. Moving on. How's everybody's week? You know how Great. Som- som- we have a birthday. <laughs> you know how sometimes we get comments from the listeners that we get a little too... Rambly? Rambly and divergent at the beginning. I think that was that. I think I think we have I think we have out outdone ourselves. Yeah. On this one. Congratulations to us. I haven't been talking to people. You so. can tell. <laughs> Apparently Donna hasn't either. You've yeah. been chatting to them on Facebook. Anyway. No, I took an extended vacation from Facebook. Ah, I, I was uh just one thing about this week that I wanted to mention that I, I was sitting at work earlier in the week uh, and listening to various podcasts and I listened to the NPR show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Ah, And this last Saturday, they had Alicia Silverstone on the show to promote her new book, Mothering Naturally, where she she talked about how wonderful an idea it is that we talked about several months ago from her book of no diapering, just letting the kid go whenever they want, and they'll give you a signal (laughs) of, you know, I am about to go, and one of the commentators said... You know what my daughter does when to signal that she's going to go to the bathroom? She goes to the bathroom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they they were at least calling her out on it a little bit, but I, I want to... They, they were harassing I her. I want to fire the, uh, the the scheduler whoever said, yeah, let's bring on this kooky schmuck well, onto no, the show. The, the comedians had a good time. I laughed a lot while she was on. Yeah. <laughs> Because I, they, there was a joke that was done afterwards. There was some subject about fitness enthusiasts, their new popular drink where it used to be like coconut water or anything like that. Right. Now it's human breast milk. Right. And one of the commentators said, did Alicia Silverstone think that up or something? <laughs> so at least there was some skeptical. No, that was actually there. PETA. And they did petition Ben and Jerry's to start. That, making- well, yeah, that was like a couple of years ago. This is apparently a new thing. Yes, that it's the new fitness drink. Ah. Oh. Interesting. Just just have chocolate cow moo cow milk or something, people. It's just as nutritious. Yes. It's perfectly crumbling. Well, you know, according to them, cow milk is for baby cows and human milk is the only appropriate milk for humans. And then have some orange juice. Or is that only for baby oranges? Apparently. According to PETA. Probably mandarin oranges because they're smaller than... No, that's just Florida racist. Orders. I'm just saying. Mandarin orders are smaller than... than the, it's the, the little cuties. <laughs> I'm not saying they speak Mandarin or Chinese. Or they come with a little gong or anything. Hey, yes, right. Yeah, and they come with So the Valencia robe. oranges are the, the mommies to the little, the little cutie oranges <clears throat> exactly. that you get at the store. Exactly. So where, where, what? <laughs> Do we have where a birthday? Were we? <laughs> that was just a little thing I picked up on this week that it was a little, uh, okay, I don't, you know. The the wait wait don't tell me thing and like yeah yeah those those guys do tend sometimes to be quite skeptical. Uh, Bob Bobcat Goldthwait when he's yeah. on is quite funny. Yeah, that, that, that's that's the job of a comedian to you know poke truth to power and and say uh, I don't think so you know or the, poke at power with truth. Sure, <laughs> may not speak to people either. Right. So, birthday. Birthday. Do you all know who was born on this day, June 4th, in 1928? Fred Flintstone. Barney Rubble? I, I, I don't think so. Wilma Rubble. Wil- yeah. No, Wilma Flintstone and Wilma. Betty Rubble. Betty Rubble. Um, uh, common Era. Not before the Common ah, Era. Ah, <laughs> ah, okay. Gilligan. Skipper. Professor. Marianne. Ginger. The, the, the robot from Lost in Space. <laughs> this person is a TV personality. Eniac. But no. 
Uniac. It's not a robot. Okay. <laughs> Though this person is very well known for their voice, often imitated. This person was born in Germany, uh, apparently escaped the Holocaust, was sent away from the family. Albert Einstein. No. Though, uh, every time what I mention Germany, you're just going <laughs> to guess Albert yeah. Einstein. Yeah, um, I think he's actually Austrian, though. So. <laughs> left Germany and eventually went to Palestine slash what became Israel. And Uri jo- Geller. No. Okay. This person is female. Irina Geller. (laughs) (laughs) No, Gary. Eventually moved to France, where this person began uh, studying, I think it was some sociology, but mostly psychology and stuff like that, and eventually emigrated to the United States in, I think it was the late 50s. Uh, Did people imitate her voice? Yes. Dr. Ruth. Yes. I was going to say, I was... (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha! Yay, Gary got one! (laughs) I was... I want a little more, because I, <laughs> I have some books I want you to read. Yes, exactly. So first you take the cucumber to practice putting the condom on. Exactly. And, and it's, it's, it all ties it, back. It'll stick it in the green pig. <laughs> in the wedding pig? Green. Oh, the great little pig. I thought you said squealing pig. Okay. Oh, no. no, that's only in Alabama. And that's a Cards Against Humanity card, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in, in, in the 1980s, she started doing a radio broadcast show called Sexually Speaking, where kind of for the first time you had someone in a media market, uh, granted it was midnight on Sundays, who was speaking <laughs> was frankly and after on- Sunday started. So oh, if, uh, for fuck's sake, Sunday into Monday, I think okay. it was, but uh, I don't. Which, that, would be, that would be much better because, you know, Sabbath and all that crap. Well, yeah, it's the kind of thing where... It was a show about sex and sexuality. It was frank and honest. It wasn't pulling punches. And I'd like to point out, I do know that the Sabbath was actually on Saturday and not right. on Sunday. But modern Christianity. Okay, She's on. Jewish, so yes. her Sabbath would have been on Saturday. Exactly. So, sorry. Okay, there goes that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, back to Dr. Ruth. <laughs> So she started her radio show in the 1980s, which eventually got uh, transitioned over to TV eventually. But she did a lot of TV spots with uh, David Letterman and stuff like that. And so that's where she became a household name. But she talked frankly about sex and sexuality, maybe not quite as frankly as, say, a Dan Savage would. Well, this this is a precursor to Dan Savage. Exactly. It was the 1980s. You finally had someone saying, listen, people enjoy sex, but let's do it safely. Use condoms and... And wasn't, That's her stuff. wasn't the Kinsey Report? Kinsey Report was in the 50s, I believe. 50s. You 50s know. and 60s, yeah. I believe. Okay. So it's kind of a natural progression yeah. from, hey, let's actually study it, to, hey, let's actually talk about it. Let's talk about sex for a minute. No, wait, that's something else. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> so she's not specifically a skeptical luminary or anything like that but she said well let's look at what let's sex open actually is and let's talk about it without hindrance of the oh you shouldn't talk about that right. kind of thing right and we're we're seeing that natural progression with people like dan savage and Lacey green who both have popular websites and shows where they speak Lacey green's new one is about anal sex which i don't think that dr ruth would have even imagined covering 
I don't know. I didn't really ever listen to her shows or watch it, but we were a bit young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Gary was lost in thought, thinking about. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Lacey Green and Elsa. <laughs> no, I thought you were thinking about Doctor Ruth. And okay, I, I actually I thought yeah yeah, and I was like no. No. Okay. Anyway, moving on. No, pretty much. I mean, that that's really all I had to say about Dr. Ruth. She's not specifically a scientist, though she is educated. She has a doctorate in, I think, education or sociology. Not Okay. Yeah. So she's not like a uh Dr. Phil type person who's not actually a doctor. I think Dr. Phil has like a an English degree or something like no, that. No, he or, has a psychology degree because he was a, I believe it is psychology, because the reason that he actually became so big was that he worked for attorneys helping seat juries. So he did a lot I of like the cold I thought reading. he wasn't actually a doctor. He may not have his doctorate. That's what I mean. degree revoked. No. <clears throat> that, that's um, number two on, on the interwebs' searching engine. The popular search engine kind of fill yes. in the blank. A exactly. PhD in clinical psychology from the University of North Texas. Huh. According oh, to well, yeah, but from UNT, so. Yeah, it's, it's a Texas Actually, doctorate. and it wouldn't have be, Those it don't wouldn't, count. It wouldn't actually fuck be. Fuck you. <laughs> um, fuck you. And, um, again, fuck off. Actually, and it, and it wouldn't be in University of North Texas. It would be North Texas State University at that time. Okay. They lie! Jesus. Sorry. Stop doing that. <laughs> and his dissertation was entitled Rheumatoid Arthritis Rheumatoid 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 Arthritis <laughs> A Psychological Intervention It's going to be fun when uh, we start talking about the longitudinal wooey. study later in the show uh, Yep <laughs> So yeah, but he actually got it as a legal consultant is how he actually became big because he was he, the he worked with the attorneys that were seat that were seating the jury when Oprah Winfrey had her famous beef trial up in North Texas. Okay, I don't know about the beef trial. Google break. Yeehaw! She actually hired McGraw's legal consulting firm to prepare her for the Amarillo, Texas beef trial because the Amarillo, Texas Beef Association sued her because she basically said that red meat was bad. Ah, and it caused a whole bunch of problems because her minions suddenly stopped eating beef. Mm -hmm. Kind of like uh, John Oliver's minions crashing the uh, what FCC, was it? The web sorry. FCC website because of the net neutrality thing. Yeah. Hopefully, he won't get sued. Well, how can he get sued? But turning it back to the subject that we were talking about, I was just curious because I knew Dr. Ruth was in her own way in the 1980s and so on progressive in actually talking about the real science of sex and the real experience of sex. And I was trying to Google around to see if there's any big criticisms of what she has said, if she's off the mark on sometimes, because I know some of the personality doctors like Dr. Drew and sometimes Dr. Phil are criticized because, and I'm not even talking about Dr. Oz level okay, stuff, okay, but, yeah. but being too conservative in what they're saying and being like, sometimes uh, Dr. Drew is like anti- trans i think sometimes yeah, but also and, pop psychology yeah and, and stuff but, that isn't quite true but we know yeah. it's true so but dr ruth seemed to focus more on just kind of sex advice right 
and and relationship advice kind of thing. Yeah, because she's so. a calling show too, and people would ask her questions. Yeah, it's it started out with just letters, but then went into calling show on a seven second delay. But <laughs> still, so it doesn't seem like she's really been called out, except for the crazy conservatives who never want anybody to talk about sex. Well, of course, for getting anything demonstrably wrong, but that's only with like a day or two's worth of research, seeing kind of what people have said about her, and mostly it's positive. Yeah, sex so, positive. Yes, and that's important to be positive about the experience that we all hopefully have of having sex in our lives and and all that. Unfortunately, sometimes the result of sex leads to babies that you maybe didn't plan for, but hopefully horrible things don't happen as a result. Twoo. For example, in Ireland, where the Catholic Church set up some wonderful little institutions for fallen women. Not yeah. for fallen men, but for fallen women who originally were uh, really prostitutes. Well, sorry, considered prostitutes. Basically, any woman that got pregnant out of wedlock. Right. They could have had a role in the hay or they could have actually been raped. Yeah. And because so, it doesn't matter. Because right. so, 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 if you're a woman and you have sex, you're dirty and well, bad. You're dirty just because of the fall and the whole fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, whatever. But so so the the Catholic Church set up a whole bunch of things called the Magdalene Sisters, I believe. Sisters of the Magdalene uh, Ma- Magdalene uh, Asylums uh, yeah. all over and it wasn't just Ireland. And so women would be put in there if they had children out of wedlock or or were pregnant. Small girls would be put in there if they shamed the family for whatever reason or being overly flirtatious or even being too pretty. So even if they weren't pregnant, some women were thrown in there at a young age. Yeah. And it turned out that most of these places uh, appeared to be slave labor camps. Yeah. Uh, Laundries where the... The laundry is the most common Right, uh, but they would work for... they would live in bad conditions, they would work in bad conditions, and they didn't get paid, and they were just basic ato- basically atoning for the sin of being a female. Yep. However, all of that pretty much has been known for years, but apparently there's a new thing that's been discovered. Yes. Somewhere in Western Ireland. Uh, Dublin so, Road, Tuam, Ireland. Right. Uh, some, so, what? Tuam, Ireland. Oh. What were you laughing at? <laughs> I thought she was going to go in the Twoo love. Twom Island. Twom Island. Some kids were, were playing around on in this, this abandoned. Abandoned, which was closed. Uh, in the 50s. In the 50s. The last one was, by the way, the last asylum was closed in the late uh, mid-90s, apparently. Yep. So they were playing around and they found some crypts that were broken open. And within, they found bones. Lots of bones. And it looks like they are about 800 kids. Dead children and Dead babies. children and babies. Now, going back a second, it wasn't necessarily j- crypts that they went into, but... It was a septic system. A big old oh, septic, septic system. Septic, sorry, not right. crypts, septic system. There was, like, concrete over it that had cracked and broken, right. so they finally saw that there was the septic system. So it wasn't even as reverent as being a crypt or anything that was found. It was... They were just dumped bodies. Dumped. Yeah. Yeah. No headstones, no records or anything like that, just... Well, limited records. And, okay. There are limited records about it. Records of, essentially, disappearances and deaths, as in... But it, it appears there are a lot of deaths of children during this time. More like forty-five percent of some in some asylums where the kids were just right. starved to death or beaten. 
or who knows what. Because, you know, Catholic nuns in Ireland could... Yeah, I'm casting aspersions against Catholic nuns. <laughs> they're, not, they're not all dancing around in the Alps. They're, they're not all like Mother Teresa, who was perfect. Right. You're not... I, 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 that was surrounded by sarcasm, HTML tags. Yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. But, like I said, so I mean... Know. In addition to the finding of these 800s, these stories are now coming out. There's the, the movie which um, Judy Dench was just recently nominated for an Oscar award, Philomena, where she had played a woman in one of these uh, these asylums um, and was trying to reunite with a son that she had given birth to. Additionally, these children that were actually raised in it, if they managed to get to school age and beyond, were treated horribly. People talk about bullying in the United States. This was worse the way i read it that if you took what was it the it was some 10 or 20 years ago you finally saw in orphanages in romania these little babies who were basically left in cribs who never had any interaction with anybody severely socially and intellectually depressed and held back if you combine that with the undesirable casts from india of these are kids who are completely deprived and are social pariahs because of how they came about. Right. You mix those two, you have these, what do they call them? Home, home children. Home children. Home, yeah, home yeah. babies, home children. And, and they were, yeah, and they were kind of constantly being told that they were inferior in a way, or that their, their mother was inferior as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to agree with them. You, you were the product of sin. It's the sins of the father, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Well, apparently not the sins of the well, father. Yeah. That's what's amazing about this. The sins I, of the father should uh, be <laughs> witnessed back upon the father, but the father has apparently got, got, got off scot-free. It's always the woman's fault. Nowadays, when Christians bring up things like the abortion debate, they always say, well, we always believe that the child is innocent and should not be punished for anything either the mother or father did. But apparently these Catholics in these homes and all that didn't believe that. Right. And I, I think I think that they're being disingenuous when they say that anyway, because it's quite obvious that. They do expect the children to suffer. Uh, you can see it with re- reduction of school lunch programs. You can see a uh, reduction of, uh, poor, of helping poor families out. Right. They are being punished for something that they have no control over. And that's just wrong. Yep. Do, do we know? I mean, this was kind of into the 20th century that these homes still exist and these kids are around. Well, they actually started in the 20th century. Right. Most of these kids, a lot of them died before they got to school age, and some of them didn't even complete school because they died. Do we know what might have happened to any of these kids who have survived? Is there any history of them that you know There probably is, but it's probably... I would I would assume that some of the kids were adopted out, and and mm-hmm. then when as they were closing, they were probably just moved around to other orphanages or within the foster care system. Aged out. Uh, I'm I'm yeah. curious what happened when they aged out. They, nobody has really talked about that. Yeah, that's, that's this a is. Scary thing. I mean, this is to say it's a blight is is putting it very mildly, but honestly, I don't think the Irish government really gave a shit. No, because. There were studies done, and they knew that the kids were starving. Potbellies. Uh, well, I, Ireland has a, a long and sordid history with starving 
people. Well, that's true, yeah. So essentially the government turned a blind eye because this essentially perceived social ill was being taken care of, read that as swept under the rug, and they didn't have to deal with that. Well, Ireland is an extremely Catholic country. And if the church accepted it, a lot of times the government itself just accepted it. Mm -hmm. So in 1944, local health board report described the children living at a home as emaciated, pot-bellied, fragile, and flesh hanging loosely on limbs. It's 1944. Yep. You know, they knew that this was going on. They did nothing about it. And more than likely because of the, the power of the Catholic Church at the time. Power of the Catholic Church. And also remember that this is a country that was, yes, it's a hundred years later, but this is a country that was also still recovering from the potato famine, mm-hmm. which literally wiped out a majority of the population right. of, and, and- of that country. And is just now getting back to its pre-famine population. Right. And, and of course, this is a slightly different topic, but it's possible that that didn't have to happen. Oh, no, but, it didn't but, have but, to. But, but people were scared of the food being sent over because of psychological warfare and them telling. Yeah, we, yeah Donna mentioned this at some point. Two, I don't know if ago, you were two here. Weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. We were d- because like the food that would come in from the United States, of corn, right. the, the British government who was basically taking all the food out of Ireland and people were starving, they told the Irish immigrants in there that were raising the cattle and, and all of this, oh, this corn you're going to eat is going to turn you into a Native American. Right, right. You know, there is a long, but we all know that Ireland and England have a very fractured, horrible history in and of themselves. Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Interestingly enough, it appears that this grave was actually found once before in 1995. Huh, really? Yeah, in in the article in the Washington Post, it says um, the woman who's who was looking into this said that in 1995, several boys had stumbled across the mass grave, and uh, they said it was filled to the brim with skulls and, and bones. And Maybe it's just taken 20 years to fully kind of... Get to find out what happened. Archaeologically, go through it or something. So maybe this is another mass grave that was recently found, and that's why it's all in the news again. It might be. There's a lot of reasons for it, and honestly, I, I oh, it's one of those things where I hate to call out my fellow anthropologists, but dead kids, dead Irish kids, are still just forgotten. Right. It's still not consent. So this is a case where we kind of knew that these homes were bad ideas, bad places, and we knew that kids were dying of malnutrition, neglect, and measles, and convulsions, and TB, and gastroenteritis, and all the stuff they list in this article, and they were just being disposed of uncaringly, and because that is a known situation, there's no mystery behind it. It wasn't sexy for archaeologists to go into They'd rather go to Rwanda and dig through a, a mass Ugh. grave to find out. Just for a sake of example, I don't know if that's more of a a fun well, well, thing for anthropologists. Well, I, you to know do, what? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. Rwanda is politically motivated. This was socially motivated. In addition, anthropologists are very hesitant to go up against the Catholic Church simply because of the vast wealth of knowledge 
that the Catholic Church has hidden and has to itself. So there, and the Catholic Church did do a really great job, for the most part, of keeping history. Mm-hmm. They were the for a couple thousand years. They were the only ones who wrote the books, right? And <laughs> so literally. there's, you know, once again, it is a contiguous relationship between anthropologists, archaeologists. Wait, contig. Contiguous? Contiguous. Huh. That's new Contentious? You can say that too. Okay. But there's, there is a... Look at it even nowadays. Ireland is still kind of... I mean, they're still considered the bastard sons of England. Mm-hmm. That's still a, 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 a European outlook. Do you know if the Catholic Church has had specific reactions to this latest news about this 800 babies in a septic tank story? I have not story? seen anything, but... I'm, I'm sure that some of the atheist blogosphere has covered this from that angle. We know that the Catholic Church over the 20th century kept kind of hiding this and saying, no, no, nothing's wrong, it's fine. But I'm curious about what the latest reaction of is, well, we have 800 bodies here, what do you have to say about that? La 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 la. Is that their general reaction, or is it kind of yeah? We mistakes kind of fucked were up. made. Yeah, mistakes were made, but not by me. Yeah, let's let's just cut Pretty to much. this. Great book. <laughs> Ireland was still fighting for even basic recognition when England went into war in World War One, and they were saying, "Why are we fighting to free these people to take care of these people when you're treating us?" just bigger than shit mm-hmm. so there's like i said a huge contentious because i mean that was the whole whole reason behind the 19 the eastern 1916 bombing of the post office there in i believe it was belfast okay. was basically england was still treating ireland as slaves well it's a good thing that england doesn't have a reputation to that with any <sighs> other country that they've ever had any sort of influence or colonization over ever True. Again, surrounded by sarcasm hashtags. Okay. Okay. I just looked up something on Al Jazeera, america.aljazeera.com, about this tragedy. And it says, church leaders in Galway, Western Ireland, said they had no idea so many children who died at the orphanage had been buried there, and they would support local efforts to mark the spot with a plaque listing (laughs) all 796 children. The Archbishop of Dublin, Dermud Martin, said... If a public or state inquiry is not established into the outstanding issues of concern surrounding the mother-baby homes, then it is important that a social history project be undertaken to get an accurate picture of these homes in our country's history. That's what the Catholic Church has had to say about it. Basically, we didn't know this happened. Bullshit! I I agree that in general that's bullshit, but on the other hand, if you've got this organization that's constantly trying to basically lose its own records over a century and kind of ignore this whole population and just make it go away. There may be a short memory, like all the people who worked at there are dead now or oh, whatever. Yeah, sure. So they don't when have that memory. When he says we, he means the immediate group of people there. Right. Yeah. Uh, I would almost guarantee that the Catholic Church knew exactly what was going on at these places because they were Catholic run. Right. And in fact, they, uh, from what I understand, they actually bid to do this so they knew exactly what they were doing i'm just saying that they may maybe have been in their own record keeping or whatever keeping secret from themselves oh yeah 
I mean, that's, I think that's exactly what happened. That's, why, that's why all these scandals suddenly yeah. reach the Vatican. They're like, oh, we had no idea. Okay, actually, they didn't know. Right. Um, <laughs> like with the sex scandal. Right. That right. They were trying to bury it so much that it was like, oh, really? This this isn't just a problem that we're having at such and so parish right. in Chicago or yeah, whatever. It is, yeah, it's not a problem because we moved someone Carlos and other Tuam activists have organized the Children's Home Graveyard Committee and wants more than just a lasting monument, but a state-funded in- investigation and excavation of the site. And Carlos is the local historian who's been doing this kind of excavation slash yeah. investigation, right. not just of the grave site, but also of historical records to find out what people have actually said about this. Are there any records about who these yeah, kids yeah. actually were? She did some kind of like uh, library searches to find out, you know, do, what do we know about these kids before we start looking at their bones, that sort of thing. Right. But you brought up uh, earlier, you wonder what, what happened to some of the kids that were in the homes. And turns out, uh, if they got into like a, a loving home that allowed them to play, they might have done quite well for themselves. They, uh, if they, they were ever have. adopted or fostered out to a good home. Well, thankfully, we have science that's behind that idea. Oh, good, because I thought I was just speaking out my butt. Literally, it's published in the journal Science. Oh, well, see, there you go. So it must be true. (laughs) But it's also got numbers behind it. So what we have here is a study that was started in 1986 by uh, a Susan Walker of the University of West Indies uh, uh, and a couple other associated people where they were trying to find out what interventions in early life might actually help kids who are disadvantaged. So what they did is they went out and found children who were, say, from like nine months old to toddlers, so only a year or so old, very young, but also very deprived economically and educationally and all that kind of stuff. We knew that these kids were smaller and were having problems or whatever like that, and they wanted to see what could be done for this. So they found about 100 to 150 kids who were of this toddler age range, and every week for, I think it was a couple years, a social worker would essentially come to the house and teach the parent, especially the mother, how to interact with the child. And it was very, very, very basic stuff. Like, if you have a spoon, you say, this is a spoon. You eat stuff with a spoon. And you'd mime kind of taking something out of the thing, the bowl, and nom, 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 I eat with the spoon and using verbal stuff. And I know I am being very kind of talky and sing-songy, but that's essentially kind of how you talk to kids. You'd speak slowly and you say, this spoon, spoon, this is a cup. You drink juice out of the cup. Sometimes you pee into it, but only if the doctor asks you to. (laughs) Or if your boss makes you because you're a long-haired hippie and should not be working at the government. (laughs) And also... Bitter. (laughs) (laughs) No, not bitter. I've passed every drug test I've ever taken, obviously. That's not the point. (laughs) We have no doubt that. (laughs) Just the way you said that was quite bitter. Moving on. Moving on. I'm just trying to figure out how to start again. I'm not... uh, um, Pancreas. Oh. (laughs) By the way, no one mentioned what a smooth segue we had into this. (laughs) That's why I gave you the big thumbs up. I didn't want to interrupt you. Okay. (laughs) He did. Because actually, and this is just a side note... The Irish baby story actually went on much longer than I thought that it would. Yeah, sometimes that happens. 
Yes. And that's okay. Filling up time. Continue. So in addition to just basic verbal skills and just interaction with the, with the child, they also taught the mother how to play essentially some educational games. There's not a lot of specifics in the articles I read, but essentially kind of basic kind of like uh, like the spoon example this is a spoon i eat with a spoon and they put down the spoon and they'd say to the kid go get the spoon and bring it to me a very basic kind of you understand what a spoon is and you take direction to understand what you do with it if you're doing that with a little child that's that's how you teach a child what the world is and how pe things work and what things are named and you make the child curious about what's around them that's that's essentially the hope that uh, Susan Walker, et cetera, et cetera, all had on this. And they, so they, they had this intervention for a couple of years of just every week they'd kind of say, so are you playing these games? And here's a new one you can try. And here's a little dolly that you can do with very, very basic stuff. And essentially over 20 some years, so into the early 2000s, they have been tracking these 100 to 150 kids and what they found is when they got to the point where they were in their 20s or so, their early 20s, they were able to interview about 100 of these kids versus the control kids who had no intervention or just had a, um, an intervention of here's some more food for the kid. Right. And they found that the kids who got this intervention made 25% more income than the, the control kids. So you saw a very significant effect of very, very basic intervention as a young child. And it's really along the same lines of the Head Start program and all those kind of interventions we have in the United States where the earlier you go with just simple stuff, ABCs, colors, getting kids interactive, getting kids interested and curious goes a long, long way. And now we have not just kind of tests to prove it, but also seeing that these kids make more because they're able to interact more with the world and, and learn better. Yeah, they're, they're better better socialized. Yes. Probably a better uh, education. And that was one of the things that I was trying to find out by, by reading the, mm -hmm. the actual study because they, they say 20 years after the intervention was conducted, we find that the average earnings of the stimulation group are approximately 42% higher than those of the control group, hmm. which is kind of astounding. Right. Um, and it's different from the 25% number that's quoted in some of the articles. Right. So I'm not right. sure where well, that well, difference is. Well, the 25 is. also takes in not just the control group, but also the, the, uh, the non-stunted group, if I understand. So, okay. So they kind of average that. But the problem I have with that is that's the average earnings. Which, as we know about averages, some guy who's the CEO can completely... And right. so I, I couldn't find out what it's, exactly... It's averages. It's only 100 kids that are left being right. tracked longitudinally in the experimental group. Right. So that's a small number with a small number, and averages can be very problematic at that small sure. number. But all these kids are of kind of the disenfranchised social caste. So they, they sort of are, but one of yeah. the one of the... The things they said is that uh, some of the salaries and wages, because they're also comparing initial wage if they started at one job and the current wage that they're they're at right now to see what what they've been able they to had. improve. But yeah. they also said that a lot of it is is hurt. The that uh, sorry that statistic is hurt because the kids are working part time and going to college. 
So mm-hmm. that is actually a huge uh, plus in their life, perhaps. Unless they they're would... getting a degree in anthropology. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was bitter. Um, <laughs> that was far far bitter than you could uh, muster on the last one. That's true. You, you did point out something very important in addition to the earnings difference that more of these kids went to are going to college in their early 20s than the non-intervention group. Right. So it's over multiple measures, not just the money they're making, but also the progress that they can make even, you know, another five, ten years down the line of being college educated versus you can get an okay job with a non-college education, but you can get better jobs and more pay with college, especially in a place as uh, economically different in its levels as a place like Jamaica. Right. Exactly. And, And in this case, they were also seeing how many people were going to school. Uh, and so the treatment of being socialized by uh, a parent or caregiver helps tremendously mm-hmm. in doing things later in life. Yeah. Which I, I know uh, psychologists, well, you can probably answer more of this. That was at one time, it was thought we would just learn from our peers. That we were blank slates yeah. to be filled in. and it, Exactly. There, so that, there was so always like the, the cold mother-father kind of, no, no, don't hug your child too much. They'll yeah, the Dr. Spock they'll kind grow of up this. all wishy-washy, or then that's how we get gay kids or something like that. Where well, apparently we, we, apparently the, uh, the core standards now will make your kids gay. So <laughs> I don't know what people are going to do. Very, very gay. According to one Republican governor. I thought that was Pastor Hagee's kid. Or did he say something else? I'm sure he probably said something along those lines, but it was definitely a Republican governor who said it as well. (laughs) So regardless. So what this really really shows is for for young little kids, even just simple interaction of things around the house, engaging them in conversation, trying to get them to talk to you in in simple words, then sentences, or even just trying the, the baby sign language stuff. That can make a big, big difference because these are – you can see more of an effect with these disadvantaged kids where they had this huge 20 to 40% increase in salary later on. We know in places like America and the Western world where Head Start does make a difference, not as much of a difference because kids aren't as economically deprived, even in the United States where kids can at least get kind of a basic nutrition and kind of some public education and stuff like that. So they're, it's not as bad, but it's all important. Yeah. So next time something like San Antonio's pre-K for SA, SA goes up on the ballot measure, those are good things. And like Gary said, hug and play with your nephews and yeah. nieces and oh, children too, I guess. Children and they're, well, maybe not their friends, but whatever. Depends with, on how close you are with the friends. Yes. If you don't know the parents, ask permission first. Right. But we all know that children can cause a hell of a lot of stress. And sometimes that stress can lead to the parents doing and saying things that they may regret. Or just general uh, meltdowns of the entire family crying and gnashing of teeth and kicking of the floor. Why are you looking at me when you say that? Well, I saw you crying and gnashing your teeth and kicking the floor when I walked in, so... (laughs) Weren't supposed to see that. (laughs) Right. Well... Well, your your pet was just standing there going, it's your own time you're wasting in your own doggy way. But <laughs> this is an elaborate world you've constructed. I have. 
All for one transition to a new topic. Precisely. <laughs> so, uh, Science Daily has had an article today about an application on your smartphone, which is going to be paired with stress sensors in like a watch, perhaps your smartwatch, Donna. Yes. So um, like heartbeat and galvanic kind um, of sweat thing? Sweat. It's actually sweat, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which, one of the things, that was one of the things I was like, oh, so it's sort of like a lie detector. But the thing is that you actually get to train your sensor on when you're stressed. So that was kind of cool. So, so yeah, you spend a week basically going, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm yeah. stressed into your, your smartphone. In and Donna's gives... case, it's always, it's basically always red or whatever. I can yeah. see <laughs> one problem with this app already. Yeah. You really shouldn't use it while driving. Well, most people are stressed while driving. Ah, well, well, let's let's back up just a little bit because okay. this is specifically for parents of children who've been diagnosed with ADHD. And it's no a very are, small study. No parents are ever stressed when driving. Gotcha. Right. Well, no, but it's also only between six six p.m. and ten p.m. when they're doing stuff around the house, uh, getting ready to do things and and stuff like that. Homework, right. chores getting ready for the next day sort of things. Yeah. And so the parent gets stressed out, you know, spends a week basically like marking that I'm really stressed at this point. And then it starts sending you like little reminders of remember to hug your kid and breathe, breathe. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the, the knives are locked up, right? <laughs> that the app sends for you when they're trying to detect your pulse and it's not going <laughs> right. Breathe. Um, God damn it. Breathe. Fill your lungs with air. Take three full deep breaths. Simply, silently count down from five. Imagine each number changing colors. I remember in the 80s where it used to be counting down from ten. You know. <laughs> Recession, damn it. You know, be consistent. Be Life predictable. So be prepared. Model what you want. So, so the app would in turn give parents coping skills. Oh, I, I have to throw this. You were talking about the recession, how we count down from five. Yeah. Well, they the parents that were part of this also got to rate the app, and they rated it five point one out of seven. So there's your recession. Out again. of seven, who yeah. does a survey up? Oh, well, okay. I, it's an odd number, so you can have a, a wishy washy in the middle. It's four. probably yeah. four is average. Yeah. You know, like, very like, love. Disagree, Dislike, strongly disagree, disagree yeah. vehemently disagree. Every dumbass survey your employer ever makes you take about how did you like the last company picnic kind of stuff. So uh, the cool thing about this is it's using some very simple biofeedback just to call attention to what you're doing so that you are aware. Because, I mean, I know I'm guilty of this. I, I handle stress a certain way, and oftentimes I don't realize how ex horribly stressed out I am until – Something happens until I, I, you know, the the little camel straw thing, and suddenly I'm ranting and raving and jumping around. Camel, the, that way, I have no idea what I'm talking about anymore. Where'd I go? <laughs> I'm, I'm you were like remember. holding your hand out with knuckles, and I thought you were saying like camel toe or something. Where were you going oh. with that? Seriously, really? International <laughs> sign language for camel. Well, uh, straw breaking back thing. I don't even know what a camel break back mountain. No, the straw, straw that broke breaks the camel's, camel's back. back. Oh, okay. God, okay. I'm uh, talking slightly out of sequence. My brain is getting in front of my mouth, and my mouth is definitely lagging from the muscles therein. Talking weird, you are. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> that made Harpo very happy. 
Why is that, Greg? <laughs> Yoda still looks very pleased with himself over there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we should put Yoda around the table. Idiots you are! Hmm. Okay, so... But enough about our iTunes reviews. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. It's taking kind of... Uh, well, with the exception of the app, which was written for this, it's, it's taking some... Fairly simple ideas and just calling, you know, allowing to... Fuck, I forgot what I'm trying to say. I think I already said it anyway. We'll take your time. Take a right. breath. Count down from so, five. So, so there's, there's, uh, there's actually three things going on here. You have the app. The, you have a biosensor that's sending data to the app. Then you have a server that's also taking in this data and then checking to see if you're stressed out and then sending... You know, some sort of then you kindly get a, worded missive. <laughs> then, well, you, you to, then you get an email from the NSA telling you to chill out. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, and, and you know, I want to say this. I, I know some people here in San Antonio that are working on a very similar app yeah. for soldiers with PTSD. Okay. It, yeah. So this would be yeah. this. I mean, this is, but this is a, a good thing because you don't always notice when things are going wrong or when you're. When you're stressed out, you don't, you just don't sometimes, I mean, when you're driving, you start yelling yeah. and sometimes it takes me a while to realize I'm ranting a bit and to, you know, to change it to the classical music channel and get off uh, the politics channel. Yeah. Like sometime you're just doing stuff around your house or whatever, and then you don't realize how up your shoulders are. Right. Or that you're thinking about something or watching them and your hands are clenched. Right. Exactly. And your shoulders, your hands, your buttocks, those are kind of the, the three main points of like just... Stress, stress on your body where you notice that you are clenching. Right. So And your jaw. You have to Yeah, your jaw. And and just you have jaw. to consciously say, Okay, relax you know, bring the shoulders all the way up and then all the way down. It's like, okay, I had no idea how tense I was. Right. Yeah. And so I could definitely use something like this because I'm some <laughs> dealing with Ditto. mixing. Exactly. <laughs> I'm dealing with mixing or dealing with people who are being obstinate. You know, it's Ditto. nice. It's nice to not get angry, then relax. Okay. It'd be nice to take the breath before you start uh, yelling things that probably shouldn't be yelled. <laughs> that actually doesn't really happen because I do know, I do have filters. <laughs> well, but it's a recording it'd be, it'd be studio. Nice. Of course you have yeah. filters. But it'd be nice, it'd be nice to be told that my body is tensing up because of, for whatever reason, for me to notice that. Mm -hmm. So I'd be all about that. I, I can understand that. the you know, I have mentioned before on the show that I have had some success using a app that I enter in when I exercise and what I eat throughout the day to remind myself to not eat too much, to not boredom eat, to get some physical activity. And that kind of feedback of logging when you're stressed or what stresses you right. can help be a basic just reminder, hey, relax. But as long as people don't lean on it too much as a crutch of, oh, this is going to solve everything. Sure. I will no longer be stressed. I can be resilient and move on from all the other things that I've ever had working on. I'll never be stressed again. Right. Which some people look at to technology to be the, the savior. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the one thing I didn't like about this, uh, I thought was probably a little bit on the, on the pushy and the people would ignore it side is that the parents also received different prompts every 90 minutes to two hours during the day. So it's basically receiving spam. And I'm not certain that unwarranted things to tell mm -hmm. you to breathe are 
beneficial. And, are beneficial because then you yeah. start ignoring them rather than going, oh, oh, yes, I'm stressed out. But here you're sitting, you're, yeah, you're it's having – It's just a random text. You're like, yeah. I'm not stressed out. I'm at the fucking exactly. spa right now. Exactly. Why am Bam I getting a text? Folder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the 10 parents who did this – and like I said, there's a very small study. <laughs> uh, I, I think we should not call any experiment that has that few subjects on it a study anymore. It could be it, like we changed Pluto to a dwarf planet. We'll call it a dwarf study or something like that. Okay. So we know, all right, big old grain of salt about the size of the table. Trial. We'll call it a trial. Uh, because really, this, yeah. is, this is supposed to be a commercial product. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. Like you said, uh, there's other things being worked yeah. on with this. and it, it Very similar, like I said. I mean, my friends that are, uh, that are working on the ones for PTSD. Yeah. I know that they're it's it's along the same model of when you start feeling certain triggers. If you know that your one of your triggers is a crowded room and you're going to a midnight showing of a brand new movie, you can say, "Look, I've got this," and it will just like remember your breathing. Mm-hmm. You know, count to ten, whatever. Because it's government, so, you know, it's recession-proof. If you're going to go to a midnight show, go to a midnight show of a really bad film that nobody else is going to be there, so it's an empty room, or go on Sunday matinee. <laughs> right. But, like I said, I mean, there there's a lot of these sort of apps now being worked on. Yeah. And it's, it's just starting to do some... Some simple biofeedback stuff, not not like electrodes in the brain, but just right. like we notice that something's going wrong. We know something's different. What's up? Which then allows you to hopefully notice. Yeah. If if you're not, I think there the, there was some news recently about updated versions of the iOS operating system software, and I think some of the that things that caused a lot of stress. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. Uh, but one of the things I noticed that they were saying on there, besides the whole, oh, you can control your home with your phone or kind uh, of stuff, right, yeah. is they were talking about more integration of essentially fitness tracking elements just to the oh, phone so itself. Oh, so what, what Samsung and Android have been doing for well, a while. Yes. <laughs> yeah. of, of, you know, that it can count. It'll basically be an, a pedometer and stuff like that to track. Like sure, what Samsung and Android have been doing. Yeah. But, but see, this is, this is the thing I have. I'm not saying this is new to Apple or anything. I just happen to notice it. I'm just saying it's good that this technology can help. Yeah, see, I don't. This, personal fitness. This is stuff. the one thing about the, the personal fitness apps for the phone. I don't carry my phone when I go running or, or go to the gym to work out. I, I leave it. In the locker or something. Yeah, yeah. because one, you're going to sweat, or at least the workouts I do, or you go swimming. Can't take the phone. Uh, And otherwise, I mean, phones are so big now, it's like, what do you do? It's like, where do you put them? So you either put them on your body, you put them in a case, and now suddenly you can't bend over or it's getting in your way when you're... And so I just just don't, don't like the idea... I personally mm-hmm. uh, don't see the phone as anything but a logging type thing. Right, right. but and it can be good for, you know, walking around the walking, office throughout sure. the day to show just how many steps you take. Right, because that's the, their big thing is, I know with the Samsung one, because I have the newest phone. I have the, the Galaxy have the 5. Watch, which the watch I can see working. The watch, the, GPS. Has, the watch has the pedometer in it. Additionally, the phone has the pedometer Right. And they, they do talk, but this also logs, you can log your food, you can log your exercise, oh, no, in absolutely. addition to logging that. 
as well as a heart rate monitor. Right. No, I, I get that. I mean, one of the guys I'm working with in the lab, uh, he's doing this exact same thing and kind of refining the whole thing. And so, you know, I had to do jogging in place, jumping jacks, uh, push-ups, squats, and the whole thing. And so he was basically identifying instantaneously, well, somewhat instantaneously, which activity was going on based on the three yeah. degrees of, of freedom on, on the sensor. And that's really cool. That was really helpful. But then you have to carry this thing with you. Now, if it's on the watch... <laughs> and I also imagine, like, Microsoft's Clippy coming up, I think you're jogging! That's right. <laughs> would, you, would you, like, help placing one foot into, in front of the other? So, well, but there's also, though, there's also certain apps now, like there was that zombie run did you yes. ever see that app? Yeah. Where you would take it with you and you run and it would tell you, you need to change your course because there's a zombie coming up from your left and yeah. run this way. And it kind of helps you vary up mm -hmm. Right. You say, I want to run routine. five miles. And so it tracks you with the GPS and then it also throws zombies at you so that you're, you know, you're, you're doing something other than running because quite frankly, running, uh, is boring. running sucks. Yeah. Yes. It's, it, but it's the cheapest and fastest way to get into exercise because all you need are shoes. Literally all. I mean, you don't even need those if, you know. You're running on a beach or something. Yeah. So, uh, but it, it's, it does. But again, I don't, I, I think and, you know, make up songs and just practice my breathing when I'm, when I'm running. So I don't actually, I don't run with headphones. Uh, so that's just me, though. Yeah. Well, there's other. It doesn't matter. Don't stress about it, Gary. I'm not stressing. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do get stressed out, you need to be more resilient, Gary. Yes. Yeah, you, you're telling me to be more resilient, but I may not have a choice <laughs> because it's all about the neurons in my brain. So there were no. It's about the demons. The demons in my brain. <laughs> the little, the little frogs and demon things inside my brain. So there was a study on mice by Mingui Wang, I believe is how you pronounce his name. His name, her name. Yeah, Ming <laughs> Mingui Lang. Mi He's Ming trying to dis Wang. determine the gender right now. Yeah, because they keep on just saying they're... Um, Mingui Wang. Mingui Wang and colleagues at the Cold Spring Harbor Lab in New York, sorry, laboratory in New York, uh, did a new study with mice, uh, and they basically stressed the mice out and found that some of the mice recovered well and some were susceptible to uh, fears. So what would happen is about 20% of the mice, let me back up, the study was the mice were put on an electric, on a grid of, uh, sorry, an electrified grid. Let me back up. The mice... <laughs> <laughs> this will go at the end. I, I, I'm not properly explaining it. I'm not actually backing up. I'm just starting over, over. So the mice were put on an electrified grid, and they were uh, mildly shocked, uh, enough to give discomfort but not real pain, and then given the opportunity to leave at some point after they were shocked. And they found that about 80% of the mice would, would flee. But about 20% would just kind of curl up and just take it because they, they kind of gave up hope that anything was going to, you know, anything good. The important thing here is that the mice who fled, basically at some point they started training them to say, when this lights comes on, you're about to get shocked. Yeah. And the ones that became 
resilient and, and basically worked away from the stress would get off the electrified pattern and recover and all that. But the, that 20% just said, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to take it. I don't care. You know, I hate life and right. be zapped. And but, yeah. What was it? No, the fact is you're pissing me off. <laughs> Ghostbusters, where he gets, oh, gets right. shocked. <laughs> you want to know what the result is? The result is you're pissing me off. <laughs> We're paying you, but man. It, but it's mice, so it's a lot cuter and squeakier. Right. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's really cute when the mice has learned a helplessness, which is what they're calling it. And it turns out that there's actually a structural difference in the brain that causes this. And it also turns out that you can induce this in mice that are not susceptible to this. The, the mice that have learned helplessness have stronger connections between their neurons. And the ones that don't have far more, uh, far more elastic neurons, which yeah. is kind of a, it's you kind would of think weird. you would think that it would be opposite. opposite yeah. Well, I was I was thinking it made made sense that if these mice that are so stressed over and over and over again that it becomes a hardwired pattern to just expect stress that. When they that stressor, they have the opportunity to get out of the stress. They just think, well, I'm going to get stressed anyway. Why bother moving away? They don't learn sure. the behavior of, oh, I can get away from the stress if I see the light. They just think, it, you know, stress is always going to happen, and I'm just going to get stuck here. And essentially, what you get is depressed mice. Yes, and and that's what they're kind of br talking this whole in thing into because the area of the brain they were talking about, the medial prefrontal cortex is often associated not just with stress, but with depression. Right. And so the, the point of the study originally was to find out why people after stress get depressed. And so they, they found at least one clue is, is the structure or the neurons, the tenseness of the So if your neurons are tense, basically, everything's on you. Tense. And it, so it gets hardwired. A rut in your brain is created. Right. That stress, bad, stress, bad, and you still keep feeling that even if you're not literally being stressed anymore. Exactly. And, and the, as I said, they, they figured out that by uh, increasing the cell activity in the prefrontal cortex, they can make resilient mice susceptible. But they they haven't figured out how to reverse it, as far as I can tell. Well, they, they did mention in some other articles that I read along the same lines that... In some cases, what they've done to treat some depressive cases is either an electric, sure, uh, not shock, but like stimulation, stimulation at the skin level, but also actual putting electrodes in this medial prefrontal cortex general area. Sure, well, that, that they've, stimulates done, that. they've the area. done that for all kinds of things, uh, electrical Parkinson's. stimulations. Yeah, uh, yeah what's uh, people who have epilepsy? Schiz but they did find yeah. that the stimulation, in some way, basically kind of undid this kind of hardwiring at least artificially and helped with the de depression so they do know because this area if you have a, either it's it's like high activity slash stronger connections between the neurons because i saw it described both ways right. that this area is definitely related to staying stressed and being depressed yeah. now i i did like the like I did like I, I did, did like, like today, mommy. <laughs> I, I did like at the very end of this uh, one particular article in um, <laughs> Psy Curious. Uh, <laughs> How old are you? The 
very last paragraph in this was actually one of it's kind of one of the coolest ones I've read in in a small study like this and it says uh, and quote and while the prefrontal cortex is clearly an important area for depressive behaviors it is certainly not the only one involved Quote, the devil is in the details, explains Helen Mayberg, a neurologist at Emory University in Atlanta. It's not any one region. Any lab may pursue this pathway or that pathway, but no one should expect that any one place, any one cell is explaining depression. But she notes that this study helps to show how important the prefrontal cortex is. This study is another step, she says, in piecing the circuits together. Which means this isn't the whole picture. This isn't everything. This is just a small part. And so many studies like the... the the previous one of the app seems to say, oh, well, this is the end-all and be-all of everything we're doing. Or at least the news descriptions of it yes. in, like, uh, new, uh, Reuters. Reuters? Like in Ro- yes. Like in a Reuters article just summarizing what happened in the medical study where it's written by someone who doesn't understand science or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was really happy to, to see that, that. To see this- somebody basically say, stop, <laughs> take a break realize that the human brain is a complex organism and to define it by one thing is not giving it the justice that it deserves. Exactly. So maybe they need to assign all those journalists the stress app with the watch thing to remind them don't be a fucking idiot. Exactly. Well, you know, you look at <coughs> it, the other side of it is, is, is that prefrontal cortex is something that is it's not inherent to humans, but it is much more developed in humans mm-hmm. as opposed to other animals and everything else. And look at how long it took us to develop that. Yeah. Millions Days. and millions. <laughs> fuck you. Um, and I'm going to say this again. Um, Biblic- biblical days? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it took us millions and millions of years after we separated from a common ancestor with, you know, apes. To develop a prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. To say, oh, look, here, we found depression yeah. is, uh, it's not giving, you know, this, humans yeah, the exceptionality. This is a mice model of an area that kind of corresponds to where it is in humans, but we do. <laughs> I, I do believe your dog is um, dissing you. Yes. <laughs> but, but uh, go ahead, sorry. But we do know that human studies in this area have found lots of activity in this prefrontal medial cortexy area that is related to depression. So this is another way of saying, well, okay, why is it? Well, it's because there's more connections or it's more active and it's understanding the model a little better, even though it's not a direct one-to-one relationship. But the interesting thing is, you know, we're talking about humans being getting depressed, but obviously animals get depressed too. So it's not just the prefrontal cortex. It's it's, the way that it works within the whole brain brainering and chemistry and the foods that we eat and the medicines that we take and the plants that we chew and you You know like diet poo that we fling (laughs) flinging poo speak for yourself kimosabi (laughs) poo flinging but yeah you know diet is a very is very much a part of this conversation absolutely and speaking of this conversation and diet and stress, <gasps> there was another study out there by a M. Rockwell Parker, again, someone who if we don't know it's male or female, and it's out in the journal Neuroscience Letters. We all know, trust me, we all know this, 
that sometimes when you get stressed, you think, I just need to eat something sweet. I need that instant kind of reward gratification going on. And yes, some people don't just use food. Some people use alcohol. Some people use sex. Some people use... um, Exercise. Sure, yes. Weirdos. Um, But we do know that... Heavy petting. Yeah, girl. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little disturbing here. Petting your head. (laughs) Yeah. Right behind the ears. Heavily. Oh, you love that, don't you? (laughs) There are all those other things we do, but we do know that people stress eat. And one of the things we've been... Science has been trying to figure out is, why do we do that? And what they found out... Beyond just the uh, obvious uh, instant gratification, uh, make you feel good kind of thing. Right, but why is that a gratification sometimes? Science does know that when you get stress, you release certain hormones. Um, in some cases, they're called glu- glucocort- ah. glucocorticoids. Thank you. They're called glucocorticoids. And so obviously these hormones go out and they interact with certain cells to make something happen. So anywhere where these uh, glucocorticoids are, these corduroy trousers... <laughs> Zip, 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 zip. I'm on fire! Glucocorticoids. Glucocorticoids. So anywhere where these glucocorticoids interact... (laughs) Just let it go! I was doing fine until he went. Glucocorticoids. I said it right. Longitudinal. (laughs) And I said that right, too. Yes, you did. So you can infer that anywhere in the body where there are receptors for the glucocorticoid, <laughs> Damn it. So we know that anywhere else in the body where there's a receptor for these GCs also we're... <laughs> you can't win, man. There's just no way. Go ahead. So, listeners, you may not know that I just edited three minutes out of this podcast... <laughs> Where I had trouble saying the word glucocorticoids. Yay! Scientists also refer to these as GCs. And I'm going to do that from now on. So anywhere else in the body where you find a receptor for this GC hormone. Guitar centers. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking bitch! Just just leaving some for the end. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I will not not interrupt anymore. (laughs) Bullshit. I promise. If there's a receptor for this GC hormone, you're going to know it interacts for some reason with stress. So if you find a receptor on, say, your skin, you know that when you stress, your skin reacts in somehow or whatever. Well, they looked and they found in the taste buds on your tongue that are related to sweet, savory, also known as umami, whatever the hell that means, and bitter taste. It means sweet and savory, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't I, see. It, there's a trouble with the Oxford comma going on there. I don't know oh. what umami is related to there. No, I've I've heard umami, and it's it's uh, it's it's a uh, hard to describe taste. It's something that uh, they can't say that is sweet or savory. It's, it's right. kind of in between. So it's actually not sweet or savory. It's it's another taste 
that is uh, hits all those bases or something. Yeah, it's yeah. just they can't describe it. If I recall recall correctly, it is one of the five basic tastes, together with sweet, sour, bitter, and salty. It is a loan word from Japan and can be translated as pleasant, savory taste. Oh, there it is. So it it, it dovetail more with the savory side of things. But we know that this hormone from stress binds to the cells in the tongue. That means that the taste reception that's going on with your taste buds is being affected by stress. And we would assume that what happened, or what the researchers would assume is that when you get more of this hormone, these sweet receptors maybe act more or take in more and makes you want it more. So, you know, you get more of a reward from tasting a sweet chocolatey thing or a umami thing or a bitter thing or something that you get this reward of, oh, yeah, that really tastes good. I feel better now. Right. Now, these receptors are also located in other places like lower down the gastrointestinal or in, down in the, the pancreas. Down the esophageal right. tract. Which and I didn't know. Stuff. I had no idea. Yeah, because I kind of thought they were just, you know, right yeah. there on your tongue. Yeah, because they're located <laughs> in the oral taste buds. I'm like, where the hell else are you going to put Apparently them? Apparently, <laughs> this means that your pancreas is tasting that Willy Wonka chocolate bar that you just had and thinking, mmm, I feel better now. Even it's, though I didn't win the golden ticket. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's more of a... Your pancreas senses that you ate this stuff and realizes, oh, you don't have to eat as much anymore. You've gotten that thing. You've, you, you, you've, it's, it's that whole. You've satiated feedback. That. exactly that but feedback system. Does it reduce the stress at all, or is this just, or no? I would assume more the stress thing is the taste bud because that's much more immediate, and we right. know we're sensing that, right? As opposed to, I have never like eaten something and realized, oh, my pancreas is happy. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Hmm. The thing that makes the bile is just uh, just uh, chugging it out. That's yeah. great. The only thing is the opposite. When like tomato sauce gives me a heartburn now that I'm reaching the s- second part of my life, kind of thing. That <laughs> I didn't want to say old age because we're not old yet. But yeah. no, no. Well, so we say. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I still feel young, and my voice broke at least once during this podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> Exactly. So it's it's another way of saying y- your body may just biologically want sweet stuff to help relieve stress. So, you know, maybe just when our ancestors were unhappy, they said, you know what? You know what I need? I need a fruit from that tree. That'll make me feel better. Yeah. Or something. Or something. Uh, is it a tree of in the garden of... Uh, it, never mind. In the garden with the tree of... Knowledge of good and evil. No. Well, there were two trees in that garden. There were. There's the tree of uh, tree of life, life and the tree of knowledge of good and, the and evil. Tree. Not just knowledge. It was the knowledge of good and evil. What about the so, tree of uh, Hershey's chocolate bars? Well, uh, they don't talk about that much because that may have been the, near the tree of happiness, which of course we're not allowed to to have anything about. Uh, happy, happy isn't good yeah. for religion. No, no. Anyway. So but, we we have yeah. uh, we have stress taste taste stress receptors stress yeah. taste. Receptors. So when you stress, you taste things differently. Yeah. Or and you you possibly crave, which is the other thing right. when you stress out you crave because I know when I was stressed out last week, two weeks ago, whatever, I did eat actually quite a bit of chocolate bars and stuff because mm-hmm. it was nice. You know, walk into the kitchen and they're right there, and then you yeah. just well no I, I put them in I put them in the pantry. 
so that I wasn't because I would constantly just chug them, which is bad because then uh, mm. that much sugar just doesn't doesn't do me well. But regardless, no, no, it doesn't. But we know from these two studies that we just finished talking about that sometimes some people can get stuck in that stress mode, and, and they then... think, okay, I'm going to keep eating, keep eating, keep eating. That'll make it better, but it doesn't. Right. And a feedback loop happens, and also a, a food back loop happens where you keep getting bigger and bigger, which causes you stress because you think you're fat, which makes you eat more, which causes you stress. You're basically and... fat bastard from, uh, yeah. from that film series. Austin Powers. Ah. Uh. <clears throat> yeah. Well, just real quick. It turns out, according to, was it Reuters that also printed this one up, that exercise and diet... Can possibly help you lose weight. That was the headline. Imagine that. <laughs> I never, ever would have guessed that diet and exercise can help me lose weight. Yeah. This is so mind-blowing. Why hasn't anybody ever talked about this before? No clue. Well, no. they did cover their bases. They say it may help maintain and that's weight true. loss. Yeah, that's right. It says it may. Uh, but apparently Orlistat... The drug Orlistat, taking in 120 milligram doses three times a day, can also help you lose and maintain weight. Uh, of course, it also gives you severe gastrointestinal distress. <laughs> Is that sort of like that that fat substance they were the using? Olestra. Olestra is exactly what I was thinking. I yeah. think this is a anal leakage. I think there's this is a, a there's a that. there's a yeah. turn that you never want to see on this. On a bag stuff. of chips. <laughs> eating too much of this may cause anal no leakage. leakage. I'm not eating the chips. Mmm, shit chips. <laughs> These chips taste like, like shit. shit. <laughs> Anyway, so that was yeah. the thing. So eat less, exercise more. Although uh, one of the things that this actually it was a it uh, pointed meta, to it a, a meta, meta study. Didn't it was it? a meta, yeah. well, it was a meta study. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. The article was about a meta study uh, of a whole bunch. Okay, of no, types. hold on. The article touched on a meta study, but it pretty much was an article promoting yes. What's all the stat. All the stat. All the stat. Yeah. And also, I would also debate whether or not I want to call it an article or not. Because it did the thing that severely pisses me off about anything that is written. Every single different sentence is a new paragraph. Yeah. So it's like just it stupid bad writing. press release. Yeah. Um, not unlike the app one. Anyway, it was, it was kind of interesting. Um, I, I skimmed the study just to see what they were talking about. And um, it was basically they, they did some uh, about 50 plus studies they compiled and looked at, and they were longitudinal in that they followed people over a course of, well, okay, longitudinal. It was over about a course of three to five years, depending on the study. All things considered, that's pretty that's damn pretty longitudinal. And yeah. so it was, yeah, so it was obese people losing weight up to 5 to 10% of their body mass over a two-month to one-year period. And they also had to follow up with trying to keep the weight off using non-surgical methods. Right. So they lost the weight using non-surgical methods and then... They had to maintain with non-surgical. Either with some intervention like being trained on how to have diet yes. and exercise or being a control group. They just kind of put them out in the wild and said, good luck. Exactly. And so the thing was they've, they found that basically eating less, exercising more, but changing your lifestyle also. Yeah. So not, I guess, sitting. They, they didn't define what that meant, but not sitting watching television all night. 
possibly. That's the problem with these meta studies, because you pointed me to one paragraph that just kind of, well, made you laugh and confused you yeah. about how all these different studies are essentially arranged in different ways. They're testing different things, different interventions, either just diet or just exercise or both or versus acupuncture versus taking a pill or something. Right. So part, part of it was they found the other interventions, they call it. It says there was no evidence of effectiveness for the following interventions, dietary interventions versus control condition, uh, which means that di diet did nothing compared to people who weren't on a diet. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as, 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 as far in, as I can read in the two or three studies, they numbered di right, yes. right, right. High carb diet and low fat diet versus other types of diets, uh, physical activity interventions versus control conditions. And then, uh, adding aerobic exercise to a dietary intervention versus diet alone, which is which is kind of an interesting thing because that one alone says exercise and diet is not any better than just diet. It shows just how much noise there is in this yes. meta-analysis of some of the studies didn't show anything, but when you add all 43, 45 studies up, there was a slight effect. Yeah. Which means it's a good idea to maintain a diet and um, change your lifestyle at at least a basic level, it can help a little. Right. And as it shows, you have to change your lifestyle, which basically means exercise and diet as well. Mm -hmm. You can't just go on a diet because they said everybody that just goes on a diet gains it back. So you have to change everything. At least Buy until some, Right. At least <laughs> until someone invents the adipose pill. <laughs> And then we'll all be better. Exactly. Well, I think all, all of that is probably uh, a good good step in the direction because you're effectively <laughs> having gastrointestinal distress. <laughs> anyway. You know, that, and that's just not something you ever want to see. No. So what did we learn today? We learned that... Uh, Greg can't say glucocorticoids. Neither can you! Neither can you! <laughs> Exactly. Um, Glucocodocorticoids. Yeah, but you can, can you say Dr. Ruth Westheimer? Dr. Ruth Westheimer? Yes, we learned that she was one of the first people to be a sex positive DJ. Uh, DJ, DJ. Oh, radio yeah, I DJ. remember that term. Yes, yeah, that's, no, no such thing anymore, really. Except on college radio. Uh, we learned that the uh, Magdalene sisters and asylums were quite bad for basically anybody that went to them. Except apparently for the Catholic Church. They kind of got off on it. Uh, yeah, I'm casting aspersions. What? Uh, we learned that stress is bad for you, but there's all kinds of cool ways for you to deal with it. I'm not really being funny. I'm just saying. And there's an app for that. <laughs> or there will be soon. Plus some electroshock therapy and some chocolate. Wait a minute, what? I don't know. Okay. Um, also, eat less, exercise more, change your lifestyle from whatever it is. Whatever you're doing, it's wrong. So <laughs> just, just change it. So yeah. just change it. <laughs> anyway, so I think that pretty much does it. Uh, so goodbye for me. Uh, bye. Thanks, Gary and Donna. Bye, both of you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And of course, thanks. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, I, I was trying to do it like a two Ronnies thing. It's a good night from him, and it's good night from, or it's good night for me, and it's good night from him. But it doesn't really work with with three. So, do you, you don't know who two Ronnies are, do you?
Um, I'm just Ronnie thinking Corbett of the two Parker. episodes of Doctor Who that had the Ronnie in it as the villain. No. No. Nothing to do with that. Okay. Comedians. Anyway, thank you for joining us, and we will talk at you later. Bye. Bye. Hey, folks. One more thing before we let you go. As you may have noticed over the last few months, your three hosts have had various scheduling conflicts that have led to one or all of us missing a recording session here or there. Obviously, life just sometimes gets in the way. Work, school, etc., etc. Realizing we had an issue, the three of us came together for a band meeting to figure out how we're going to handle this. What we decided to do was temporarily change our episode frequency. So starting this week and going forward for the rest of the summer, we're going to shift for a monthly release schedule. So your intrepid hosts will get together on or about the first Wednesday of each month, and the episode will drop within a couple days. We still like doing this show. It gives us a lot of enjoyment to have what we consider intelligent and fun conversations, and to share that with you, our fans, our dear listeners. We just need to take a little breather for just a few months. As always, we do enjoy hearing from our fans, so if you have topics or news stories that you'd like to hear our take on, please share them with us on our various modes of social media. We will continue to be active on those, Facebook, Twitter, etc., as much as life will allow. Thank you for sticking with us. We know that a lot of our listeners are not just fans, but you're our friends. We've met a lot of you in person, and you've had a lot to say to us, and you've affected our lives. We're going to keep doing the show, and we're not stopping. So we will see you next month, and thanks a lot. See you soon. The Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the Podposted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. So, John Morrison, uh, neuroscientist at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. I believe that's the guy who did it. Is he not the guy who did it? Nope, my bad. It's actually uh, Mingui Wang and colleagues at Cold Spring Harbor Lab. Yep. Want to start that over? Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> oh, I get right. Right. So there was a... Now, these receptors are also located in other places like lower down the gastrointestinal or in, down in the, the pancreas. Down the esophageal right. tract. Which I didn't know. Stuff. I had no idea. Yeah, because I kind of thought they were just, you know, right yeah. there on your tongue. because yeah, they were located <laughs> in the oral taste buds. I'm like, where the hell else are you going to put them? Apparently, your <laughs> pancreas is take, tasting that herky. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Herky, herky jerky. <laughs> Apparently, your pancreas is also tasting that Hersk. <laughs> I'm gonna get this stupid joke out. No, you're Appar- not. <laughs> Apparently, your pancreas is also tasting that Hersey's. <laughs> you're, you're so close. <laughs> Hershey's kiss. Hershey's kiss. Hershey's chocolate. All done. You want to write it down? I'm gonna go you. a different way. Okay.
apparently your pancreas is also tasting that Butterfinger chocolate bar or that apple that you just had. That it's has going to say, no, no, you don't. It's going to say, my pancreas is not tasting that Butterfinger bar because then I would be lying in 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 shock from an allergic reaction. <sighs> All right. I thought, I thought he was going to say Hershey's Kiss. Ah, <laughs> uh, chocolate. Some kind of sweet thing that does not have nuts in Just it. Chocolate. And, all right, that shrimp and chocolate bar. No, that's not good because <laughs> Donna's allergic to that too. Um, <laughs> that chocolate and relationship bar. No, both and Gary are allergic to relationships. That doesn't work. Um, Break out in hives. <laughs> we love you, no. Greg. <laughs> Oh, God. So apparently, this means that your pancreas is tasting that Willy Wonka chocolate bar that you just had and thinking, mmm, I feel